Chapter Twenty Nine of the Dark Other. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Dark Other by Stanley G. Weinbaum. Chapter Twenty Nine Scopolamine for Satan. The glass was struck from Pat's hand and the water-clear contents streamed into pools and darkening blots over the table and its litter of papers. She stared unseeingly at the mess, without realizing that it was Nick who had dashed the draught from her very lips. She felt neither anger nor relief, but only a numbness and a sense of anticlimax. Somewhere below the bell was ringing again, and a door was resounding to violent blows, but she only continued her bewildered, questioning gaze. "'I can't let you, Pat,' he muttered, answering her unspoken query. "'But, Nick, why? There's somebody at the door, isn't there? Mustn't we find out who?' "'What difference can it make?' she asked wearily. "'I don't know. I want to find out.' "'It's that illusion of hope again,' she murmured. "'That's all it is, Nick, and it means now that it's all to do over again.' the whole thing from the beginning and we were so near the end i know he said miserably i know all that but he paused as the insistent racket below was redoubled i'm going to answer that bell he ended he moved away from her vanishing through the room's single door she watched his disappearance without moving but no sooner had he passed from sight that a curious feeling of fear oppressed her she cast off the numbness and languor and darted after him into the darkness of the hall nick she called somewhere ahead a light flashed on she saw the well of a staircase and heard his footsteps descending she followed in frantic haste gaining the top step just as the pounding below ceased she heard the click of the door and paused suddenly at the sound of a familiar voice where's pat the words drifted up in low rumbling ominous tones dr carl she shrieked she ran swiftly down the stairs to nick's side where he stood facing the great figure of the doctor dr carl how'd you find me the newcomer gave her a long, narrow-eyed, speculative survey. "'I spent nearly the whole night doing it,' he growled at her. "'It took me hours to locate Mueller and get this address from him.' He stepped forward, taking the girl's arm. "'Come on,' he said gruffly, without a glance at Nick, standing silently beside her. "'I'm taking you home.' She held back. "'But why?' "'Why?' "'Because I don't like the company you keep. Is that reason enough?' She still resisted his insistent tug. "'Nick hasn't done anything,' she said defiantly, with a side glance at the youth's flushed, unhappy features. "'He hasn't. Look at yourself, girl. Look at your clothes and your forehead. What's more, I saw enough from my window. I saw him bundle you into that car.' His eyes were flashing angrily, and his grip on her arm tightened, while his free hand clenched into an enormous fist. "'That wasn't Nick.' "'No, it was your devil, I suppose,' said Hawker, sarcastically. "'Anyway, Pat, you're coming with me before I do violence to what remains of your devil.' 
Nick spoke for the first time since the doctor's entrance. Please do, Pat, he said softly. Please go with him. I won't, she snapped. The sudden shifts of situation during the long hours of that terrible evening were irritating her. She had alternated so rapidly between horror and hope and despair that her frayed nerves had seized, now at the same reality of anger. Her mind, so long overstrained, was now deliberately forgetting her swing from the pit of terror to the verge of death. "'You come up here like a hero to the rescue,' she taunted the doctor. Hair breadth hooker. You little fool, growled the doctor. A fine reception after losing a night's sleep. I'll drag you home if I have to. He moved ponderously toward the door. She gave a violent wrench and freed her arm from his grasp. If you can, you mean, she jeered. She looked at his exasperated face, and suddenly, with one of her abrupt changes of mood, she softened. Dr. Carl, honey, she said in apologetic tones. I'm sorry. You're very sweet, and I'm really grateful, but I can't leave Nick now. Her eyes turned troubled. Not now. Why, Pat? Mollified by the change in her mien, his voice rumbled in sympathetic notes. I can't, she repeated. It's, it's getting worse. Bah. So it's bah, she flared. Well, if you're so contemptuous of the thing, why don't you cure it? What good did your psychoanalysis do? You don't even know what it is. What do you expect? roared the doctor. Can I diagnose it by absent treatment? I haven't had a chance to see the condition active yet. All right, said Pat, her strained nerves driving her to impatience. You're here, and Nick's here. Go on with your diagnosis. Get it over with, and let's see what you can do. You ought at least to be able to name the condition. The outstanding authority in the Middle East on neural and mental pathology. Her tone was sardonic. Listen, Pat, said Horker, with exaggerated patience, in the manner of one addressing a stupid child. I've explained before that I can't get at the root of mental aberration when the subject's as unstrung as your young man here seems to be. Psychoanalysis just won't work unless the subject is calm, composed, and not in a nervous state. Can you comprehend that? Just dimly, she snapped. You ought to know another way. You, the outstanding authority. Be still, he interrupted gruffly. Of course I know another way. If I wanted to drag all of us back to my office where I have the equipment, which I won't do tonight, he finished grimly. Then do it here. I haven't what I need. There's everything upstairs, said Pat. It's all there, all Nick's father's equipment. Not tonight. That's final. The girl's manner changed again. She turned troubled, imploring eyes on Horker. Dr. Carl, she said plaintively, I can't leave Nick now. She seized the arm of the silent, dejected youth who'd been standing passively by. I can't leave him, really. I'd not be sure of seeing him again, ever. Please, Dr. Carl. If these frenzies of yours, rumbled Horker, are so violent and malicious, you ought to be confined. Do you know that, young man? Yes, sir, mumbled Nick wretchedly. And I've thought of it, continued the doctor. I've thought of it. 
Please, cried Pat imploringly. Won't you try, Dr. Carl? The devil, he growled. All right, then. He followed the girl up the stairs while Nick trailed disconsolately behind. She led him back into the chamber they had quitted, where a curious odor of peach pits seemed to scent the air. Hawker sniffed suspiciously, then seized the remaining beaker, raising it cautiously to his nostrils. Damnation! he exploded. Prussic acid or cyanide? What in? He caught sight of Pat's tragic eyes and suddenly replaced the container. Pat! he groaned. Pat, honey! He drew her into the circle of his great arm. I'll help you, dear, all I can, with all my heart, since it means that much to you. He groaned again under his breath. Oh, my God! He held her a moment, patting her tousled black head with his massive, delicate-fingered hand. Then he released her, turning to Nick. This the stuff? he asked brusquely, indicating the cabinet of bottles with its splintered front. Nick nodded. Pat sank to the chair beside the table and watched Harker as he scanned the array of containers. He pulled out a tiny wooden case and snapped it open to reveal a number of steel needles that glinted brightly in the yellow light. He grunted in satisfaction and continued his inspection. Atropine, he muttered, reading the labeled boxes. Cocaine, naturine, iocene. Iosiamine won't do. What do you need? The girl queried faintly. A mild hypnotic, said the doctor abstractedly, still searching. Pretty good substitutes for psychoanalysis, certain drugs. Dulls the conscious mind, but not too complete unconsciousness. Good means of getting at the subconscious, see? Sort of, said Pat, if it only works. Oh, it'll work if we can find... Ah! He seized a tiny cardboard box. Scopolamine. This'll do the work. He extracted a tiny glassy something from one or other of the boxes he held and frowned down at it. He seized the carafe of water, plunged something pointed and shiny into it. Antiseptic, he muttered thoughtfully. He seized a brown bottle from the case, held it toward the light, and shook it. Peroxide's gone flat, he growled. Nothing but water. He pulled a silver cigar lighter from his pocket and snapped a yellow flame to it. He passed the point of the hypodermic rapidly back and forth through the little spear of fire. Finally, he turned to Nick. Take off your coat, he ordered. Roll up your shirt sleeve, the left one, and sit over there. He indicated the couch along the wall. The youth obeyed without a word. The only indication of emotion was a long, miserable, wistful look at Pat as he seated himself impassively on the spot that the girl had so recently occupied. Now, said the doctor briskly, approaching the youth, this will make you drowsy, sleepy. That's all it'll do. Don't fight the effect. Just relax, let the thing take its course, and I'll see what I can get out of you. Pat gasped, and Nick winced as he drove the needle into the bared arm. So, he said, now relax, lean back, and close your eyes. He stepped to the door, dragged in a battered chair from the hall, and occupied it. He sat beside Pat, 
watching the pale features of the youth, who sat quietly with closed eyes, breathing slowly, heavily. Long enough, muttered Hawker. He raised his voice. Can you hear me? He called to the motionless figure on the couch. There was no response, but Pat fancied she saw a slight change in Nick's expression. Can you hear me? repeated Hawker in louder tones. Yes, I can hear you, came in icy tones from the figure on the couch. Pat started violently as the voice sounded. The eyes opened, and she saw in sudden terror the ruddy orbs of the demon. End of chapter 29